thank you for taking the time to listen to this life-changing message from the ministry of Faith Bible Chapel. We hope this message will encourage you in all parts of your life. At the end of this message, you will hear more information on how to contact our church family, as well as directions for you to visit us for any of our worship services. Until then, join us for the service in progress. Well, today we're starting a really quick series. Actually, it's only three weeks, but uh, we're calling it God's Rescue Plan. And how many here would say that there have been, there's been a time in your life when you could recognize that you needed God to rescue you out of something? I think this, this fits really well, particularly in the season that we're in as a, as a nation and maybe even as a church, that the reality is things are happening. And we need to understand what is God's rescue plan for us. And so it's a three-week series, and we're going to be looking at really God's people, Israel, out of the book of Exodus, but how that applies to us. And this series is going to be a little different than others. We don't have, I don't have notes for you today for you to fill in the blank. I'm just going to walk line by line and discover from Scripture what God is saying through the life of Moses through the life of the children of Israel, and through what God is saying. A couple of things why I enjoy doing this every once in a while, because so many times, one of the big questions is, you know, how, how, do you, how, how does the Word of God speak to you? And so as we walk line by line, you'll be able to see how this speaks to us, and, and this is going to meet all of us, no matter where we're at, where we are at in the journey of our faith, it's going to meet us today, but I believe God's going to challenge us. He's really going to, going to do something deep in our hearts. And so if you have your Bibles, open up to Exodus chapter 3, and uh, an, another purpose, actually before we get in, another purpose of, of going line by line is there's... Sometimes when you pull a verse out of, out of this or half of this verse from Revelation and half of this verse from Luke, it's called what's called hopscotch theology. Where you, you kind of you, you kind of piece it all together to get it to say what you want it to say, and how many know that's kind of dangerous? <laughs> that's kind of some cults have been built on hopscotch theology, and so this helps us to really see the context of, of what what God is doing. So as you turn to the book of Exodus, to understand Exodus is um, it's a Greek word, and and because I'm a Greek scholar, it means the way out. Just so you know that, just means exit. Where we get our our uh, our word exit from. And uh, simply, it, it helps us to understand that this book is about God providing a way out. And I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know if you find yourself in a place that you feel like you need deliverance. But I want you to know, if you need one now, or if you might face one in the future, God is the God that provides the way out. He's the rescuing God. And that way out doesn't always happen to be the way we want it. I'll tell you this from my own life. There have been times I wanted God to get me out of something. And he did it a way that I never wanted him to do it that way. But it was because of that way I became a greater follower of Jesus. I was conformed into the image of Christ. Just so you know, our journey as a follower of Jesus is not so it can be a bed of roses and health, health and wealth and, and wisdom all the time. There's this thing called that... Our life on this earth exists so that we can be, be conformed into the image of Christ. And how many know that, that being conformed into that image isn't always the most fun process? Because we have to die to ourselves. Everyone say, die to ourselves. That's hard. But it's part of the process. And it's what God wants for us. And so as we look into this book of Exodus, it's actually one of the great thrillers of the Old Testament 
It's about God making a way out for his people. And Exodus begins with God's people of Israel. They were enslaved and they were oppressed by Egypt. And what's interesting, if you think about this, when you read the end of the book of Genesis, the reason why the Israelites were in Egypt was because it was God's provision for them to be there in the first place. Joseph, who was a Hebrew, went ahead of his brothers, went ahead of of the children of Israel. God elevated him to a place of influence in Egypt, which was the most powerful nation or or, um, kingdom on the planet. And because of Joseph being elevated, he brought his family and the Israelites to Egypt because there was a massive famine. And so he saved them. So at first it was God's provision for them. But now generations had passed and everybody's forgotten about Joseph. Everybody's forgotten about how much he, you know, everyone loved him and how much, how much people actually loved the Israelites during Joseph's time. Everyone's forgotten about it. But here's the problem. The new Pharaoh is insecure. Anyone ever known an insecure leader? Okay, don't point at me. Just if, if you know what. <laughs> that was funny, I thought. Okay. Um, it, it was funny. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This new Pharaoh, he's insecure. So he's like, I, listen, the Israelites are basically, they're having too many babies. They're growing. The, their, their population is growing. So he made a decree. He says, I'm going to enslave the Israelites. So he enslaved them to build his kingdom, to build his walls, to build his palaces. He said, I'm going to enslave them. And this is, as you read scripture, you will literally find this. He thought, I will enslave them, make them work so hard, they won't have time to make any more babies. It was, it was his form of birth control. That I guess how it worked. They were so tired, and so he thought, that's, that's what I'm going to do. So they were increasing in numbers, and so he clamped down on them. And this is what the series is all about, is that God delivers his people from the hands of Pharaoh. And so we're going to be looking at this for three weeks, but I have one point for you today. Everyone say amen. amen. Well, not that enthusiastic, but I have one point for you today. I want you to take this point away, and I guess if I didn't have this one point, it'd be pointless, but that's a, you think about that for a moment. I know, stupid jokes, move on, Jay. okay, all right. And here's the point, I want you to write this down on your, on your blank notes, is that God's presence always precedes his deliverance. God's presence always precedes his deliverance. When God is about to rescue his people, whether it's this story we're about to read, other stories in the Bible, or your own life, God always begins by showing up in a really unique, special way. He shows up. There's, a, there's, there's an encounter with him. And usually, many times, he shows up to an individual. And then that individual he uses to lead other people to that similar experience of, a, of God's presence. So God's presence is always at the heart of his rescue plan. He's actually there walking with you. He is, he's in the midst of you. And it's because in the middle of it, you need to understand this. You're going to go through hard times. You're going to go through problems. You're going to have questions. You're going to wonder how in the world is this going to work out. And you're going to ask, God, where are you? And God is going to reveal himself to you and say, I've been with you the whole time. But it's in these moments that that God reveals himself in a unique, special way that we're going to find in Exodus chapter 3. So 
Exodus chapter 3, God shows up to one of these people, one of his people. And something amazing happens. And so let's just look at first, starting Exodus 2.23. During that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out. And their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and he was concerned about them. So there's, there's something that happened. Now they're enslaved. So the beginning of God's rescue plan, I just want to set this up. He meets with a man named Moses. And I want you to get to know Moses today. And you might think, Jason, I got Moses pegged. I watched Prince of Egypt. It was great. I know all about it. But I, I want you to, to walk through his journey. And I believe God wants to speak something to us through his journey. We're going to walk it line by line. It's going to be a lot of fun. But if you read in chapters 1 and 2, because we're going to be in chapter 3 today, Moses is a boy who was born into a Jewish family during a time of genocide. So there was a decree that went out that every boy was to be killed. So the whole slavery bit about them having, um, like, no more children actually didn't work. They were having kids. And Pharaoh said, I want all the midwives who are helping deliver children to kill every boy. To kill them. Well, the midwives didn't want to do that, and so they ended up hiding babies, and that's actually what happened to Moses. Moses was one of those babies that was hidden, and his mother puts him in a basket, and he tucks him away in the cotton tails of the Nile River, and a little close, she floats him a little closer. She had to be strategic, because one day, Pharaoh's daughter, who was a princess, comes out, she hears a baby crying, she goes over to, and the sovereignty of God happens, and she takes this child as her own into her home. Now, as she brings the child into her home, she thinks, I need a nurse to take care of this child. And who, who does she go to? She actually goes to Moses' mother and, and invites her to be the nurse that takes care of Moses. It's pretty remarkable. But all of this is very important because you see the strategy of God in God's rescue plan for his people. And so this is part of Moses' journey. So this is the context in which Moses grew up. He has, to, he has to be confusing for him. He was raised as a prince, as a, one of the children from the, as the pharaoh or the children of the princesses. And he knew Egyptian, but he was raised by a Jewish mother, really. And so he was torn between these, these two areas. And it had to be that his mother, as she took care of them, as she nursed him, as she held him, whispered over his life his true identity and who he actually really was. I can imagine as she held him, she told him stories of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph. How God had delivered you, Moses, from being killed. I stuck you away in the cattails, and, and, and God took you. She had to tell a story. Just to, maybe, maybe it was a child's story, and she didn't tell him the truth till he was older. I want to tell you a story, Moses. There was, a, there was a boy who went on a great adventure down the great Nile River. And he went it from crocodiles. And maybe she, 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 it was the script that the Prince of Egypt was written from. And he went through the cattails. And he, he came up along the edge. And, and a princess walked out of the castle. And took this boy into her and made him a prince of Egypt. And then one day she said, Moses, you know that story I've been telling you for all these years? That's you. And so she continued to speak into his life. And it's to this person, Moses, that we find that God reveals himself 
And so this is the backstory of what we're looking at today. So let's look at Exodus chapter 3, verse 1, and we'll just begin the journey here today. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro. And I'll address in just a moment, what in the world is he doing tending the flock of Jethro? His father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Here's the question, what on earth is Moses doing? I thought he was a prince. Jason, I thought you said he was living in the castle. Jason, I thought you said he was like one of the royal family. He was, but he wasn't anymore. Moses got in trouble along the journey. He actually couldn't hide who he really was. The words that his mother spoke over him is, you, you're, you're a Hebrew, Moses. God has a plan for you, Moses. All those words and, and the life that, that she, and the prayer she prayed over this, this baby, Moses, came out one day when he saw one of the slave masters who was beating and abusing one of the slaves, Hebrews, his fellow kinsmen. He knew. And so he tried to step in, but Moses went a little overboard. He beat the guy to death. And then he didn't know what to do. And so then he buried the body. And, and then he didn't know what to do. Then he started running for his life. He acted on the impulse of that every human being acts on when we sin. When we try to cover it up. Two things, usually when we sin, we either try to justify it or we try to cover it up. And his shame and his fear drives him away to a place that we've just read. And he comes to this place and he ends up with Jethro, priest of Midian. Who happens to be, out of all the places in the world, happens to be from the line of Abraham. Interesting, huh? He could have ended up somewhere else. He could have ended up in another place in the desert. But he ends up with Jethro from the line of Abraham, Isaac. So what this says to me, and I believe what it says to someone here today. And this is a little side note, and I just want you to hear this for a moment. Just like Moses, maybe your life has been tossed down a river. Maybe, maybe your life, maybe your mama sent you down a river that actually she sent you down for destruction. Maybe that's how she raised you. Your dad raised you that way. Or you don't know, you don't know what, what, what happened, but you ended up in a place that you never intended to be. That maybe this is your story today. Maybe you fled from God because of the shame, because of the pain, because of the sin in your life, and you don't know what to do except for run and run and run. And I believe there's someone here today that you cannot, here's it, that you cannot run from the call of God. This is what this tells me about Moses. He was running from the call of God, and yet he ends up with people from the line of Abram. Same way with you. You might be running from God, but I'm telling you, you cannot run from the call of God. Maybe you've said this, you know what, I'm done with church. Jason, I'm done with you. I'm done with Christians. Listen, I understand. Sometimes I'm done with the Christians too. Depends on what, what, how nice they are. I understand your pain. Maybe you might be thinking, I'm done with God. I'm done with it all. I, I've, I've tried. I'm running from it all. Yes, I encountered God at one point in my life, but I don't want it anymore. But here's the deal. I want you to hear this for a moment today. When you try to run from him, this is what happens. He will chase you. He will chase you. And here's the thing about God. He can run faster than you. 
He's actually in all places at all times. So when you get to the place you thought you were running to, guess what? He's there. I mean, David said himself, man, where can I go? I can go to the heights of heights, to the lowest of depths. And guess what? God, you are still there. And God puts people in your life and circumstances in your life. Then he constantly reminds you of God's call in your life. That happened to me in my life. No matter where I turned, I was constantly reminded of God's call in my life. God's hand in my life. Not particularly to be here with you, just to be his son. Just to, no, I've called you, Jason. No, my hand's on you, Jason. I remember sitting in church services and and just trying to be calloused and trying to, to not worship God and all of a sudden there would be such a a, a grip on my heart I would begin to weep why because God was chasing me he put people in my life to challenge me to love me until finally I'm like I give up I'm yours take me that might be you today but I want you to know God wants to meet you here today so here we have Moses he's he's ran away he's married into this family because he has a father-in-law, Jethro. He's taking care of sheep, and he comes to a mountain called Horeb. Now, this is, this is the fun of this journey. If you guys, if you don't mind the details, we're just going to walk through this. So he, he comes to this mountain called Horeb, and it's called the mountain of God. Now, listen to this. Another name for this mountain later is what's called Mount Sinai. But when, with this mountain right here, Horeb, it's it's totally ordinary. There's nothing special about it. There's nothing awesome about it. It's totally ordinary. God hasn't ascended on it yet. God hasn't given the Ten Commandments from it yet. It was ordinary. So Moses is in an ordinary place like you are today. He's a murderer. He's a fugitive. And then we go on to read verses 2 through 3. There at this ordinary place in Horeb, an angel appears to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. It's just interesting. It just seems so practical. He sees the bush, it's not burning, and he says, and I shall go over and see the strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. Because it's ordinary. There's nothing fantastic about what's going on. I mean, he's in the wilderness. He's seen, he's seen shrubs catch on fire before. But this one was different because it wasn't burning up. I believe this is significant. I, I believe it's significant that, that it is God who meets us in the midst of our ordinary. God always tends to meet us, to meet us in the midst of our regular lives, our everyday lives. There are mountaintop moments which we love and we, we just, we love it. It's like, yes. And what happens is, though, we try to live our lives from one mountaintop moment to another mountaintop moment to another mountaintop moment. And we never go down into the valleys and we never work out what it means to trust God in the valleys. And I believe in order for us to experience what God really has for us, it's that we have to walk with him. We have to apply, what does it mean to follow God in my everyday, mundane life? Because we want God to refine us, but we want him to refine us in the midst of a great opportunity. We want him to refine us from a place that, yeah, I don't mind being refined as long as I've arrived and, and I, you know, here I am. 
We want, we want to be refined in the process that a light would shine from heaven and shine on us and say, this is my child in whom I am well pleased. Step back and watch me refine him. But it doesn't work that way, does it? It's the refining and the quietness of our own lives where God begins to deal with us. He begins to shape us. In the midst of our storm, when we are in absolute doubt of if God really loves us, He begins to shape us into who He wants us to be. It's the reality that our private lives, we, we, want, we want God to elevate us to a public place or a place of influence, and then in that place refine us. But no, 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 no. He says it, your private life will be what dictates your public life. God shows up in the ordinary, and then we begin, then he begins to make it unordinary. So we move on in the story to verse 4. And this is what happens. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look at the, at the shrub that was burning but not being consumed, God called to him from within. Now this is where it gets weird. I'm for real, this is where it gets weird. This is where it goes from like kind of extraordinary to now this is crazy town. God called him from within the bush. Moses, Moses. And obviously Moses responds, um, here, here am I. What else is he going to say to a talking bush? Here am I. Here I am. So think about this. Not only is the, is the shrub not burning, now the, the, the shrub has a voice. Not only does the shrub have a voice, but here, this, this is where it goes to the next level. The shrub knows my name. This is like, this is Veggie Tales going on right here. <laughs> I'm sure he had a little song, you know. Anyway. Like, things just went from ordinary to extraordinary. And then, as, and then as he's walking towards the bush, in verse 5, the bush says this, do not come any closer. No problem. I'm not, I, you got it. <laughs> you don't have to, you, you, yes, Mr. Bush, no problem. I mean, this is really frightening to hear a shrub speak to you. I, I know, it, I, I want you to try to understand what's going on here. This is, this is weird. And so we'll continue in verse 5. Don't come any closer, God says. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Here's a question. This is a question for you. What is Moses feeling right here? What would you be feeling? What would you be experiencing? Is he feeling a spiritual high? Like, man, this is the best conference I've ever been to in my life. This is the best worship, man. This is, no. He's freaking out. He's terrified. I think at this point, he'll do whatever the voice from the shrub tells him to do. Because he doesn't want to die. And this is God showing up to a person. Because he has a greater plan for them. Then we continue in the verse 6 as we walk through the story. And he said, I am the God of your father. Now remember, Moses grew up in the arms of his real mama, the Hebrew woman, who loved him, who spoke destiny over his life. He said, you were called from birth. 
God has a plan for you. You're a Hebrew. Your fathers are Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So this is, this is within his, his context of what he grew up in. And then all of a sudden, this voice says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this moment, everything changed. And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. At this point, there's no misunderstanding on, is this just a talking shrub? Did I get a hold of some bad mushrooms I found underneath that rock earlier? This is, this is God. This is the one my mom told me about. Everything changes. Because this, this God knows where Moses is. This God knows his name. And now this God knows his family. And God begins to connect Moses to who he really is. In other words, Moses, you can't run from my hand on your life. You can run, but you can't hide. And Moses reacts and must be thinking, if God knows exactly where I am, if God knows my name, if God's in my family, what else does he know about me? And we know the answer to that is everything. And so Moses has to be rehearsing at this moment, man, God knows everything about me. He knows why I'm here. He knows why I ran. He knows, oh my gosh. He knows I'm a murderer. He knows I'm a runaway. He knows every sing single thing about me. And the only thing that Moses can do is hide his face. This is, uh, this is this instinctive response to the holiness of a holy God. I love Moses' response. There's something so pure about it. Because, you know, we, we, we experience God's presence, and, and, I, and I'm believing for an increase of God's presence in our meetings, that God would meet us, and he, he would release himself. And, and listen, I, I'm trusting that he would do it. But Moses responds to God's presence in a way that is completely humbling to him. There's a purity about it. It's unrehearsed. He didn't think, okay, when I come to the presence of God and he begins to speak to me, I'm going to hide and cover my face. That's what I'm going to do. It's not like we come into worship and we think, when I experience, I'm going to raise my hands or I'm, you know, I'm, going to, I'm going to just worship God. I'm going to sing. No, no, he had no clue. He just hid his face because he thought, it's over for me. And we encounter God's presence. We can react to it many different ways. Some people are, depending on what bench you are, they'll say, you know, when you experience God's presence, you've got to always react this way and your body does this. That's actually not true. That's just learned behavior. But there are, there are some real reactions to the presence of God. I've been in the presence of God and I've, I've uncontrollably wept before God. Literally weeping. My body convulsing because of the presence of God that I felt. It's in those moments that, as we sang in the song earlier, that I am undone completely. There are moments that we want to shout in God's presence. There are moments that, that we are overcome with incredible peace that we don't know why. There are moments that in God's presence, he begins to deal with areas of your heart that you haven't surrendered yet. He begins to, to kind of push on them. And we know exactly what he's doing. There are moments that he encourages us. He, he puts courage in us. It is the presence of God 
that we find fullness of joy. But what happens is when we grow up in church or we experience worship a lot, we become familiar with the presence of God. It's, it's not something special anymore. And we gather together and we worship and we sing and we reflect on him. But we need to remember, and this is what, what I want you to understand today. We need to remember that when we worship, according to Hebrews chapter 12, the one in whom we worship is called an all-consuming fire. That's in the New Testament. He is an all-consuming fire. That we have been given access to this God through a relationship in Jesus Christ whom by his voice created the heavens and the earth. Whom by he spoke and he flung the planets into space as they are. He measures the universe by the span of his hands. And we come into his presence. I want God's presence to be normal for my life. But I don't want my response to ever become normal. I want my response to always respond in a way that I believe God and I can submit to whatever God is doing. This Moses hiding his face, it's at this point that we see that God has not set up this encounter to consume or to kill Moses. He set up this encounter to use Moses. It's the beauty of a God who calls you by name today and he says, come closer to me. This isn't a power play by God and Moses to destroy Moses. Not at all. He knows Moses' brokenness and he knows your brokenness. He calls you closer just like he calls Moses closer because he wants to remake Moses. He wants to redeem Moses. And ultimately, he wants to rescue Moses. And the rescue of God's people begins with the rescue of Moses. So many people today paint a picture of God to be one that is mad. And I'll tell you this, the church has failed at representing God the right way. I remember I grew up in a church and that you weren't supposed to chew gum in church. It's a sin, I guess. I don't know. I, that's, this is just one thing. Led by a very dominant pastor. Some chewing gum in church one Sunday night. I can tell you the night. I can tell you where I was sitting. And he stops his message. And he calls my name. He says, Jason, come up here. I stand up. I walk forward. And he has me put my gum on the pulpit. I remember going back to my seat singing, thinking, no thanks, God. The church many times has painted a picture of God by some egotistical, insecure leaders, volunteers. We've, we've made people feel bad just by walking in the building. You're not dressed right. Take your hat off. Don't do that. Don't do this. Can't take that in there. You know what people think? No thanks. I'm good. I'm good. This is never God's heart. This wasn't God's heart with Moses. 
It's not God's heart with you. He doesn't, he doesn't challenge us to humiliate us. He encounters us. He challenges us because he wants to use you. Because he sees things in you you don't even see yourself. The love of a father that calls you by name. He says, come closer. And then we continue out of this incredible encounter with God and Moses. We continue with the story where God begins to lay out this plan in verses 7 through 9. He says, Moses, I, I, you know, I, I've, I've seen the misery of my people in Egypt. Well, this is interesting because Moses is in the middle of the desert because he saw their misery too. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. Isn't it interesting that Moses was in the desert because he killed who? A slave driver? And God just, God just kind of drops this in there. I've seen their slave drivers. Moses is thinking, I did too. But he ain't here no more. And I'm concerned about their suffering. Moses is like, so am I. That, that's my family. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptian. Moses is like, praise God. And to bring them up out of the land and, and, and into a good and spacious land. And a land flowing with milk and honey. And Moses is like, this is awesome. I knew this. God, you're so good. So Moses is like, this is fantastic. God has a plan to rescue the Hebrews. Moses thrilled. And then, verse 10. So now, you go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Excuse me? You know, I just, I'm, I'm here because I'm running from them. You know that, right? Excuse me? And this is one of those requests, these moments between God and Moses. It's kind of like, have you ever been asked to, to do something? I want you to go do this. And, and you're like, no, no, sorry. And the person who asked you was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're like, uh-uh, yeah, 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 you're still going to do it. Uh-huh. This is what's happening. Moses shaking his head no. And God with a smile on his face is nodding his head like, yes, you are. And when you read this, you have to also ask this question too. God loves his people. He obviously is concerned for them. He created them. He has a plan for them. Why doesn't God just do it himself? Why get Moses involved? And this is one of the keys that you can find as you walk line by line is this one here. I want you to hear this. God never does anything alone. God never does anything alone. Even in his very existence, you have the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. There's always partnership. God is wanting to invite you into his process of rescuing people. God has incredible ways. And what I know is this. I believe God's plan is to make things right on this earth again. I believe it. I believe it's you and I's job to partner with him. But here's the crazy thing. He chooses to use those or he chooses to use people to make the world right again, but it's the same people that messed it up in the first place. That's God's plan. 
He knows that by us cooperating with him, it's how we get fixed ourselves and how we get healed. This is incredibly messy, but it's what God has chosen to do. That's why you're invited to become a part of us reaching more people for Jesus. Well, Jason, I, you know, I'm not, I, listen, I, I'm, I'm barely making it myself. Well, me too. But let's do it together and be healed together. And God, and, Moses, and God shows up to Moses, and he's sending him back. He's asking them to do something that I realize it's really unfair for Moses. And Moses says to God in verse 11, he says this, um, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Because Egypt was a place of his greatest pain, his greatest rejection, his greatest place of, of confusion is in his own identity. He, his greatest place is shame and sin. He's wanted for murder. And he's going to the most powerful king on the planet. And he's thinking, this is not going to end well. Uh, really, this is like God saying to you, hey, listen, I've got a call. I've got a mission for you. Here's a box of Bibles. Go to North Korea and pass them out. That's, re- that's what he's saying. Like, this isn't going to end very well. And God's response to him and his fear, and his, but God, I don't think, who am I? I don't think you understand. Is this, this, is, this is God's solution. Exodus 3.12 is this. I will be with you. In other words, God say, Moses, you're right. This is a suicide mission. You got that one right, buddy. There's no hope for you. You're never going to pull this off. But I've got a plan that's going to help you succeed. You know what it is, Moses? I'll be with you. You might be walking the most difficult time in your life today. I, I don't know where you're at. You can't see how you're going to survive. You can't see how you're going to do what God's placed in front of you. You might wake up in the middle of the night with anxiety gripping your heart and your mind and you can't shut it off. And you can't find a solution on how to succeed. This is for you. God simply says, I'll be with you. God, I I don't know what to do. I'll be with you. But Lord, if I don't make right decisions, a lot of people are going to hurt. I'll be with you. But, Lord, you know I've never gone this way before. I'll be with you. Then we continue in verse 12. I will be with you, and this will be the sign that it is I who have sent you. Whenever you brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God back, basically back on this mountain. And, 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 and Moses has to be thinking, can you give me a sign now? You mean after I go, put my neck in the line, then you'll give me a sign? Thanks a lot. Obviously, he doesn't know everything that's going to come to play, which we're going to address over the next couple weeks. All of this happens with Moses before anyone's rescue ever happens. Because God's presence always precedes his deliverance. This is really our story too, isn't it? This is why you're here today. God showed up to you in some way along your journey. At some stage in your life, God showed up to you. Those folks who got baptized today got baptized because God showed up somewhere in their life and haunted them and chased them down and started speaking from a bush to them. 
Not a, maybe not a literal bush. But he started speaking to them. That they had to realize this is God. And this is where it all begins. For me, as a young boy, I encountered God. His conviction fell on my heart in the midst of that same church that made me feel filthy. God's presence fell on me. I can tell you the night I gave my life to Jesus. I found a quarter on the floor. It was a 1976 quarter. I thought, this is a good night at church. I just got some money. But I remember at the end, and I remember sitting in my, in, in my chair, and I was crying. I didn't know why. My mom said, son, what's going on? I said, I don't know. And she says, sweetheart, you want to give your life to Jesus? I said, yes, I do. And I gave my life to Jesus. And I remember something shifted inside of me that I encountered the living presence of a living God who made me feel like I need you because I can't do this on my own. And as I came to them, he then embraced me as his own. And I realized I cannot live life without you. I had fire in my bones. And his presence has always been with me my whole life. Even when I went off the rails. Even when I thought, I'm going to go my own way. He kept showing up. He kept chasing me down. He wouldn't give up on me. He just kept on keeping on. And that's why I'm here today. You know, you can, people can argue to me all day long that there is no God. And, I, I, and I, was, I did that a lot more when we lived in the UK. People would always want to debate about the existence of God. And, and you can argue with me all day long. But that there's not a God, it's not going to move me. It will never move me. Because I'll tell you this, the person with the experience is never at the mercy with the person with the argument. Ever. Ever. When you encounter the presence of God, it becomes a part of your DNA. It becomes a part of your identity. And God's rescue plan began with his presence showing up to Moses. And where, it's where it began with you. It's where it began for me. It's where, where it began for the Hebrews. And I'm telling you, it's where it's going to begin in the world. It's where it's going to begin in this church. God's presence showing up. God is making this world right. He's calling us to help make it right. He's fixing the broken world. Because mankind from the very beginning of the garden said, God, we don't want you. We're going to go our own way. And because God is a, is a perfect gentleman, he will never force himself into a relationship with anybody. And so as they said, get out of here, he said, okay. But God, because he never does anything alone, chooses to use you and me to bring his presence and to carry his presence back into the world. That when you walk into Starbucks, you are carrying the presence of God Almighty. When Paul says that you are the sanctuary, you, what dwells in you is the power and the presence of the almighty God. It was the same word when he said you are the sanctuary, the same Greek word as he used when he said in the holy of holies. So when Paul says you are the holy of holies. So wherever you walk, you, you are carrying the presence of God. You're not trying to get it somewhere and say, oh, come follow me. This, this room right here, this is not the sanctuary. You are the sanctuary. 
God's presence isn't to fill a room. It's to fill people. God said, I no longer dwell in houses and buildings built by human hands. I dwell in you. That's good. Amen. (laughs) And so we're walking through the story of Exodus. Not just so we can understand more about God. That's important. That's good. Not just so we can understand scriptures more. That's wonderful. It's because it's directly applicable to our lives. That we live in a broken world. That is looking for people who have encountered the presence of the living, holy God. Jesus has come to make us alive. As we put our faith in him, as we put our trust in him, as we embrace what he's done on the cross, we come alive. We we are filled. We're no longer dead. The the issue with mankind is not because we're bad people. It's because we are dead people. We are dead in our transgressions, according to Ephesians 2. This isn't just Israel's story. This is our story. God becoming present with us. Jesus came to be Emmanuel, God with us. The presence of God with us. us. Jesus is God's rescue plan for the world. Don't don't try to find it in some hoopty-doopty something, something along the way. Jesus is the answer. I think we overcomplicate everything. And we think we got to do this and jump through this hoop and wave this thing and and shout that and blow a shofar. Jesus is the rescue plan. Jesus is the new Moses. He's leading his people, the people of this earth, to the promised land called the kingdom of God. Jesus is working exodus in your life and in my life and our community's life and this church's life and our world's life. He's bringing us out of slavery. He's breaking the chains on our lives. He's leading us into the peace and to the freedom that he offers us. And according to Hebrews, all those who are in Christ Jesus can come boldly to the throne room of grace, experiencing his presence. This is the gospel, and this is good news. The commission of Jesus to the disciples was, listen, you go and you change the world. You make it different. You transform it. And they're like, okay, but but how are we going to do this? He says, don't worry. I'm going to be with you always to the very ends of the age. In other words, I will never leave you, nor will I ever forsake you. What we need is an encounter with the presence of God. When's the last time you got alone with God? When's the last time you sat in your bedroom? You said, God, I want to encounter you. When's the last time during worship you said, I'm, I'm not going to be familiar with this, what we go through. I'm going to encounter your presence. It is in that encountering of God's presence that God begins to work his rescue plan. Not just for you, for your family. It's where he begins to, to put a fire in your heart for the Hebrews that are still in slavery 
back in Egypt. And he says, go get them. And you, like me and Moses, we say, who, me? Me? And he says, I'll be with you. I don't want to go anywhere unless he's with me. I don't want to do anything unless he's with me. And there's so many stories that maybe, maybe this is your story. Maybe you're like Moses and maybe you're, you've been hiding. You've been hiding in religion. You can say all the right things. You can jump through all the right hoops. Man, you can quote scripture up one side and down the other. But you've been hiding from God. You've been justifying your attitude. People bump into you. They, they, don't think, they, they don't think, boy, that is a humble person. They think, man, that, that person's got a chip on the shoulder. You've been hiding from God. Yeah, you're saved, but there's, there are, there's stuff in your life that you've just been stuffing it down because it takes, it, pride has taken over your life so much you can't say, you know what? I need to change. Maybe you're running from your mistakes. Maybe you're running from, from, from a past, something you did in the past. And maybe you don't even want to come into God's presence because, because you think, yes, but what if he finds out about that? Well, guess what? Just like Moses, he already knows. He's saying, come on. Come closer. Come closer. I want to transform you. I don't want to consume you. Because I see things in you you can't even see in yourself. I see a call on your life that I placed there when you were knit together in your mother's womb. Listen, uh-uh, come here. And if you think you're going to run from me over there, guess what? I'll be there when you get there. God's presence is what we need. God's presence, and I pray, and it is promised to us. Jesus promised to it to us. He said this, that the Father in heaven will give you the Holy Spirit to those who ask. The previous verse before that says, you know what, listen, if, if man knows how to, good, to give gifts, how much more does the Father in heaven know how to give good, good gifts? If you ask for bread, he's not going to give you a, a, a serpent or a stone. When's the last time that you said, Holy Spirit, I want more of you in my life. I want more of your presence in my life. We hope that this message has spoken something personal to you. If you would like more information about our church family or service times, please call us at 303-424-2121 or visit us at our website, www.fbci.org. Faith Bible Chapel currently meets in our Family Worship Center, located on the corner of 62nd Avenue and Ward Road.